So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. Everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. And he became captain over them. Now there were about 400 men with him. The word of the Lord. One of the things we see um, as we've been looking at David, David's running. He's a desperate. He's running from King Saul. I don't mean to be disrespectful, or, but he's a crazy man. He's a jealous man. And David is running from King Saul. He's run to Samuel, the prophet. He's run to Jonathan, his covenant friend. He's run to Ahimelech, the priest. He even went to Achish, the king of Gath, the enemy, if you will. And now he's moved from Gath to the cave of Adullam. What is Dave doing in the cave? I think I preached a sermon years ago, Dave in a cave, because a guy came to me at General Assembly and said, you remember that sermon you preached, Dave in a cave? What's he doing in this cave? Well, he's praying. There's two Psalms, Psalm 57 and Psalm 142, where we read that David is in a cave praying. All of what we've been finding out is it's very beneficial for us to go through trials and tribulations and to have intense stress in our lives. Now, physiologically speaking, we hear the scientists tell us that's not a good idea, but we find out it's a very good thing spiritually when we're going through difficulties and God may be tightening up our shoelaces. Apart from difficulties and trials, it's so easy to become content. It's easy not to cry when we're not going through stress. I was telling Evan the other day, I kind of feel like, you know, he's fixing to go to school, so I'm like dumping stuff on him all the time. And I said, son, I said, look, we're talking about all this desperate stuff. And so you get up in the morning and you're crying to God. You go to bed at night and you're crying to God. And when you get content, what do you do? Call somebody, call a friend. No, you need to keep crying to God when you get up in the morning. Keep crying to God when you go to bed at night and all the way in between. And you don't lose this intensity even when you're content. Don't lose it when you're content. Let me put it in these terms. If David had been praying when he walked out on that palace that day, if he had been crying out to God when he walked out on the palace balcony that day, we would never read of lust, adultery, or murder. He would have been praying that day. So we need to stay pressed up against God That's the good thing about trials. Psalm 142 reads, When he was in the cave, a prayer. Let me read it to you. I cry aloud with my voice to the Lord. I make supplication with my voice to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before the Lord. I declare my trouble before the Lord. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, you knew my my path. In the way where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, for there is one, no one, who regards me. There is no escape for me. No one cares for my soul. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge. You are my portion in the land of the living. Give heed to my cry, for I am brought very low. 
Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring my soul out of prison so that I may give thanks to your name. Listen to these last words. So the righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. What's he teaching us to do? He's teaching us when we go through stress and trials to cry out to the Lord. And so he cries out to the Lord and listen to those last words. The righteous will surround me. For you will deal bountifully with me. And what do we just read in 1 Samuel 22, 1 and 2? It says that all these men began to surround David. These righteous men began to surround David. So we have a small portrait of the kingdom of God in the world. The picture of the kingdom of God in the world. Here's a king with men gathered around him in a cave. And that is the kingdom of God in the world. There's Jesus. There's his people who come on Sunday night and gather around him in a kids are kids <laughs> in a cave. Is this not a cave? We make it almost like look like a cave. So here is a portrait of the kingdom of God in the world. First of all, I want you to note in the kingdom of God, the captain of the kingdom is glorious. He's glorious whether he's in a cave or he's on the throne. David is the anointed of the Lord, and he's been anointed to be the next king of Israel. And he has not only been anointed in 1 Samuel 16, but the Spirit of God came upon him in mighty power. He plays the harp for the king, and he goes out and he kills Goliath. He puts Philistines to flight. He's the general of the army. He served the king well, and now the king wants his head. But whether he's living in a cave or whether he's on a throne, he's still glorious. And when Jesus came into the world, it was no different. David's greater son is born to sit on David's throne forever. He was anointed when he was baptized with the Holy Spirit without measure. And just like David was a man of great, he was a wordsmith. And he could do wonderful things. He did great exploits. Jesus was a wordsmith. He preached marvelous sermons. And he did marvelous works of power. He transformed people's souls. And he continues to do it today. And the common and needy people gathered around Jesus. But where are the kings? Well, the kings of Jesus' day did the same thing that the king did in David's day. The king drove David out. And the kings of this day in Jesus' time drove Jesus out to a tree and killed him. They raised him on a tree and put him to death. But whether he's on a tree hanging dead or, he's in, or, or he is seated on God's throne at his right hand, he's always glorious. Even today, our glorious Lord Jesus Christ is driven out. He's despised and he's rejected of men. And so we find ourselves at times worshiping in dentist offices and storefronts. We find ourselves worshiping um, hidden away in houses and in catacombs. We find ourselves not welcomed among the world. Jesus is not welcomed in some homes. Jesus is not welcomed in some hearts. Jesus is not welcomed in the, in the halls of government. Jesus is not welcomed at university campuses. You know, sometimes I think to myself, then people go, <laughs> people will say this when there's a tragic thing happening at a school. Where was God? And I want to say, well, you drove him out of your school. 
But God's showing up in all these people who are coming around to help you now. The body of Christ is coming around to help you in the tragedy. You drove him off the campus and now all these people are coming to help. He was not welcomed by the rich. And so it is today. And so you and I, we have a choice. Will we go out to him? As who was driven outside the camp? Will we go out to Jesus Christ the same way all of these men went out to David? But never forget, the king, wherever he's found, he's glorious. Second, so we see the captain of the kingdom is glorious. The second thing, the ranks of the kingdom of God today are in distress. They're debtors and they're discontent. Look at verse 2. I read it kind of slow. Everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. And they, made, they and he became captain over them. There were about 400 men. We're told 400 men gathered around David. It's going to swell to about 600 in a few chapters. All of these men are in distress. They're in debt and they're, in, they're um, discontented. Now, at first glance, you might think to yourself, if you're reading for the first time, you might think these are criminals. These are discontents. These are, these are uh, hoodlums. But they're anything but. It's who calls them discontent. And it's who calls them debtors. And it's who calls them criminals. Do we have to ask the question? It's Saul who calls them criminals. But it's not David. These are men who've been abused by Saul. David, think about it. Sometimes we think David is on the run and it's just David who's running from Saul. But it's not just David. It's David and many others who are tired of Saul. He, they're, dis, they're distressed over Saul's regime. He's a tyrant. And so they're running anybody who even thinks or bats an eye at the way Saul does things. He's after them. He's against them. This is what Walt Chantry writes. Injustice, man, do we not, is this not the same today? Injustice is usually not isolated. It becomes a way of life for authorities who begin to practice abusive measures. So all of these men, one of the things that that is going on here is these men are in debt because they have no money because they had to leave home and they couldn't go home and get their money. If you go home, you get killed. So there's distress, there's discontent, they're desirous of a change, and David accepts all comers. In this time of the anointed king's great humiliation, he's in a cave. No captains are going out to him. No great men of state are going out to him. No men of high rank are going out to him. They prefer to stay in the court with Saul than to go to the cave of Adullam. They, they preferred a palace rather than a hole in the ground. In the days of King Jesus, it's exactly the same. Who gathered around Jesus in the Gospels? All those who gathered around Jesus in the Gospels were in debt, then distress, and they were discontent. They were poor, and they were needy, and they were lepers, and they were blind, and they were lame, and they were terribly mistreated by the leaders of that day. I think about John chapter 9 sometimes about the man born blind, Jesus tells him to go wash his eyes in the pool of Siloam. Of course, remember now, you have to always remember, <laughs> this man doesn't know what Jesus looks like. 
He, he's healed over here and Jesus is over there. And so he comes back. He goes through. He's terribly mishandled by the chief priest. They excommunicate him from the temple. They mishandled him. And so Jesus goes and finds him. And Jesus has to introduce himself to him. Because remember, he doesn't know what he looks like. And when he finds out who he is, he bows down and he worships him. Because you see, Jesus accepts all comers. And the same is true today. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1, 26-28, These are the ranks of the kingdom. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the weak thing, the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Five ranks that God has chosen to be in the kingdom of God. These things are foolish, weak, lowly, despised, and things that are not. How do people come to Jesus Christ? Well, they come like that. They come in distress, in debt, and discontented. Think about those words. You come to Christ in distress. All of these men are coming to David in distress. Saul would make them do things they do not want to do. Saul would tell them to do things they, they refused to do. But they were under him, and so they went to David. And you and I, we come to Jesus under a reign of sin. And if you're under the reign and terror of sin, sometimes I think we think that we know that um, we have this under control. But then we find out how powerful sin is. We find out that sin is like Saul and sin tells us what to do. And maybe we thought we got it under control until we realize we don't have it under control. We try to stop sinning and we find ourselves not able to stop sinning. We find ourselves under a tyrant like Saul. Sin is like Saul. And we try to trample sin under our feet, but we don't know how. And so we have to come in distress to someone who can save us. We must come to Jesus in debt. We have to leave our homes. And we, like these men, left their homes without any other stuff. They didn't bring any of their treasures with them. They didn't get to go to the bank. They had to get out of town or they die. And the same thing happens when we come to Jesus. We come like little children. We come and sit on His lap. We don't have anything. We're dependent people. What is it? Matthew 5, 3. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor people. Poor, not physically poor, but spiritually bankrupt people. Mourning over our sins and humbling ourselves and gentle and needing somebody to rule and reign over us. We come as those with nothing in our hands. Don't we sing that song? Nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross. I cling naked. Come to thee for what? For dress. Come in humility. We have to flee to Jesus discontented. These men fled to, Jesus, to, to David discontented. They wanted, let me put it like this. They needed new management. Right? We see that all the time. New management. Under new management. I want new management, these men said. And that's the same thing. We come and we, th we say to ourselves, I need somebody else to manage my life. Isn't that true? 
I mean, at first we thought we were pleased with our sins. We enjoyed our, our sins. We were fascinated with our power and our ability to love and do the things we wanted to do. I, I've been telling Evan, I've been trying to read confessions. And, um, you know, one of the things that Augustine says about his sin at the pear tree is he, he did it because he wanted to. But then when you don't want to anymore. He said, this, this causes distress. I don't want to anymore. I need somebody to save me. I need somebody to save me from my pride that walks around and says, not only am I need to be saved from what I indulge in, but I need to be saved from, hey, you know what? I don't smoke and I don't drink and I don't go with the girls who do. I'm so proud of myself for not doing any of these things. I need to be saved from that as well. And so if you come to Christ in distress and in debt and discontented, Jesus accepts you. He will alleviate every problem. He will give you wealth. He will take care of the distress. He says, if you come to me, but you have to come weary and heavy laden with your sin, and he will give you rest. Will we come to him? Now, everybody in here probably, I'm going to say, you know, everybody in here, I, I know everybody in here. Keep coming to him. Keep coming to him. Keep coming to him when you're 73 or 40. Close, close, right? <laughs> Keep coming to him when you're 62, when you're 18. Keep coming. Keep coming. And you know, these men who were distressed and debtors and discontented after they gathered around David and made him their captain, they did some great exploits with David and for David. They are not criminals. They were a disciplined group of men and they went out and defended law and order as we're going to study later. These men became David's mighty men. And they did these lightning strikes across the land. There were Philistines who were taking crops and towns away from people and these men would go give their crops back and give the towns back. They were David's mini army to strike and give people their things back. First Chronicles 11 tells us that they're mighty men, and he gives us three names. He says, Joshabim, Eliezer, and Benaiah, just to name a few. These men love David, and they would do anything for David. We're going to find one of those things out. They went and got some water for David when he wanted some water. These men joined David under his leadership in the cave, and David didn't lose them later on when he was sitting on the throne. They were with him all the way to the end. From the beginning in the cave all the way to the end. And they would do anything for David. And the same thing is true of all those who are distressed and debtors and discontent around Jesus. Jesus had tax collectors and sinners with him. He had fishermen like Peter, James, and John. Matthew and Zacchaeus were the tax collectors. There were nobodies like Philip and all the other disciples. There was a woman named Mary Magdalene who was demon-possessed. But all of these people gathered around Jesus Christ, and Jesus used them to turn the world upside down. And the same thing happens today. If you come to Jesus and make Him your captain, He is the captain of your soul, and you yield Him your allegiance, then you will literally, you will love Him and you will do Exploits. You will do anything for Him. Let me give you three thoughts. You will seek to glorify King Jesus by putting Him first. Just, just say that, right? Seek Him first. 
Seek His kingdom first. Put His day first. If I, I won't get on my soapbox. But if you can get this day right, if you can get the fourth commandment right, man, your life begins to take shape. Because getting this day right means you have to get Monday right. And you have to get Tuesday right. And you have to get this one to be ready for this day to be a delight. I've been telling him that to get ready for Sunday when he leaves the home. So we come apart and we worship. And we worship publicly. We worship privately. We worship through the day. And we be, we're with God's people, gathered with God's people, like all these guys in a cave around the king in a difficult place to be. Here we are. Here we are in our cave. So we get this day right. You and I, we will, if we do anything for the king, it'll mean we will read his word more. I, I struggle with how to say this. I'd say, I, I wrote in my notes, less screens, more time in the book. But you know what? Some people are reading with their Bible on the on screen. So I'm going to say um, less videos on screens. Maybe not less screens, but... Be in the Word more. How are you going to know your King's commandments and your King's promises and the King's will unless you go and spend time in His Word? You'll know His direction and comfort and you'll be trained. Another thing finally would be this, to pray with Him more. People who are not in Christ, people who are not gathered around Jesus Christ in the cave, they are... Waking up and not saying anything to God. And they go to bed at night not saying anything to God. And that all through the day they don't confess any sins to God. And they don't hear any assurance of pardon from God. And they don't confess their faith throughout the day to God. They don't pray. But every person who gathers around Jesus Christ in this world, they wake up saying something to Him. They wake up going, I mean they go to bed talking to Him. They get a passage of Scripture and they think about it during the day. They know what He wants and they talk to Him about what He wants and they tell Him what they want. It all takes some time. And I know we get busy, but are we taking time to do these things? Put the Word first. Put it first. Put His day first. Put prayer first. It's going to take some time. Um... I'll refrain, but man, there's so many things we can get. If I, I was telling Steve, he, he won't mind me saying this, but we get preoccupied at times, but sometimes those are things we have to do. I was talking to Peggy the other day. When, when you're going and taking care of Phyllis, you may not get to read the Bible as much, but you're doing the right thing. And when you're moving out of town, what are you doing? Well, you may not. You may not get to read the Bible as much and pray as much, but you're doing what God wants you to do. Sometimes our routines get shaken about, but it doesn't mean we're not doing God's will. It doesn't mean that we're not with Him. Well, anyway, that's for free. Number three, the circumstances of the kingdom of God are unusual. If you're following David in these days, you're going to have to walk by faith and not by sight. You're going to see the king in a cave. You're not going to see him on a palace floor yet not on a throne yet in first samuel 22 he's in a cave future's out there it's bright but today there's no benefits today there's no prestige no noticeable success no triumph and you're with a bunch of nobodies 
Today, it means if you're following, following David, you're going to be scorned and ridiculed, maybe call some names. Following David meant you're on the run, but it's not a bad thing because you're really close to the, to the king. In fact, following David back in those days meant being in a cave with David around a fire probably at night. And you get to fellowship with the king. You get to know him. Get to know what he likes. Get to know what he loves. Fellowship with men. You talk about some exploits. You talk about some stories. Following David meant that you were turning your back on King Saul. All or nothing. When you, t- when you turn to David, it was all or nothing. Saul's done. If you go back to Saul and say, Saul, I want to jo- rejoin your team, that's not a good idea. Because he'll take your head off. It's all or nothing. Being under David meant a new leadership, and wow, it was a lot better than being with Saul. And the same thing is true in the kingdom of God. We follow Jesus by faith and not by sight. Think about those same things again. Turn them all around. Life in the kids are kids. (laughs) Right? No honors, no glory, no power, no prestige, no perfect health. We're not preferred. Sometimes shunned. We're going to have enemies. We'll have life in a cave with God. Many preachers today tell us that if we'll just give enough money, if we'll just have enough faith, we'll live very long, we'll have prestige, we'll have health and wealth. But you know, it's always interesting. These guys, their hair gets gray. Their, their hairs get gray just like mine. And they, every one of them are dying. They're dying. We don't need to believe that. And just as David was mocked and scorned, we need to understand that we too, following David's greater son, will be mocked and scorned. Our intelligence will be questioned. We're not going to get a fair hearing. If you follow Christ, it's going to mean that you're on the run, but it's not a bad thing. Because it causes you to be closer to Jesus Christ. No new territory, no new city, no place to call your home yet. Like Abraham, will be in the land of Canaan, but not one part of it is ours. Well, I take that back. He owned one piece when he died, the part that he bought to bury his loved ones. That's what we are looking at today in the kingdom of God. Jesus tells us that the gentle shall inherit the earth but not yet. Right now, it's sojourning. Right now, it's moving along and keeping our, ourselves alert. If you follow Jesus Christ, we're going to have some sweet times in the cave. You will talk to Him. You'll read His Word. You'll tell Him all your troubles, and His Spirit will come alongside and comfort you and make sure you know that there's better things to come. Following Jesus Christ today means turning your back on the kingdom of this world, throwing all in with Jesus Christ who sits at God's right hand. Knowing that He's there means that we will live lives of faith. Knowing that, knowing that He's there means we will repent of all of our sins and lead holy lives. And so the question I ask you this evening as we stop, will you hold to Jesus Christ who is in a cave or you hold on to the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of Saul failed and went away. It was destroyed.
But the kingdom of Jesus Christ is an invisible kingdom. And it's here to stay. And it will come in a new way in the future. And it will endure forever. What have you made? What, what is your decision? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the opportunity one more time today to stop, to sing, to read, to meditate, to dwell on these things, to mull and brood over these things. And we pray that as we leave this place tonight, that we would be energized by your Holy Spirit, filled with your word, letting your word dwell in us richly, that we might go out of this place ready to do your will. Strengthen us wherever we go, in our jobs, in our homes, uh, Lord, with our families and with our neighbors, to live for you to the glory of God and to enjoy you being with us at all times. Help us to gather around you with, with one another. Enjoy our fellowship and talk about exploits. And help us, Lord, to continue to listen to those great words that Jesus has said and to study those great things he has done, especially what he did on the cross and that resurrection from the dead. We'll praise you for it. Go with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.